0: What's up everybody and welcome to episode 95 of Lamb Parties from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host Lucas Agin. Joining me as always is my co-host Ryan Smith. Ryan, before I ask you how you are doing, you had some breaking news over the weekend on your stream. Finally, it
1: happened. Yes, it happened, it happened. I told you guys, I said it. I am a man of my word and finally, Finally, we have beaten Metal Gear Solid Five. I was so happy! What an amazing story! We also went back and checked. It was super confusing. I was like, I don't understand what I just saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was absolutely nuts. But what a what a you know what a bittersweet ending uh, it, it it was for me. Just because I know this is most likely the last time Kojima and this series are going to you know, interact and interface and, and, and what a, what a series and story that that team created. So it, it was very bittersweet. Again, if the IP gets sold by Konami, there's that possibility as well, but we did it. We did it. Remember too, we're, I am still going to donate to my friend's charity. She's actually here right now because uh baby's sleeping. This is baby's nap time. And I realized, I was like, Oh, I probably should have somebody here because I can't get out of podcasts uh, if I'm, I'm, you know, so that's a whole other thing. But we did it. I was so happy. What an exciting time! Not only that, but then I went back and I started. I uh, uh, got back into Death Loop, so we're gonna we're gonna continue running through that and playing that. So it was a very productive, and fruitful weekend. How was your weekend, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> my weekend
0: was good. Uh, you know, I, I started uh, going through Guardians of the Galaxy again, uh, this time yes. with my girlfriend, uh, and just mm. getting to to watch uh, her experience it for the first time, which is total fun. Like, that game is still a blast. And so if you haven't picked it up, seriously, it's one of the best surprises of the year. And I think you guys yep. will love it. Um, but, yeah, no, other than that, I will say, Ryan, the next series I'm going to start asking you about is
1: Halo. You shut your (laughs) face. You shut your mouth. I know you're right. You're right, though, because it's going to at this point in time, it's going to take me forever to get to this newest one. I do plan on playing the multiplayer, but you're right. I need that and I need to get back on um, uh, Mass Effect. And I'd like to go through that. Mass Effect will probably come before going back to Halo. I'm not going to lie. But first, we need to get through Deathloop. I've got one thing at a time. I I start shredding myself thin and I forget stuff and, and it just doesn't happen. Um, but but switching gears uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, uh, I said switching gears real quick uh, By the way, we do happen <laughs> to have A guest as well <laughs> Yo, Valerie Rose Lohman uh, What remains of Edith Finch, thank you so much For joining us today, how are you How was your weekend?
2: I'm doing great I'm super excited to be here I'm trying to remember what I did this weekend I think I just like hung out, cleaned, hung out with my dog Yeah it was, a, it was kind of a chill weekend after, like, a really busy Halloween weekend being, like, yeah. the, the previous week. So it was good. It was lovely.
1: Good, good. Thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, before we get in we and we really talk shop with you, we've got a couple of gaming news that we want to talk about real quick. And I thought this was absolutely huge. We've had uh, Super Blind Man Brandon Cole on. We've had other people that that we've talked about uh just disability and and accessibility for games and how important and how much it's growing. Let's talk about how much it's growing because developers of Forza 5, they came in and I feel this is, I don't know another game that's doing this, but they have put in a sign language interpreter into the game. And I think this is absolutely fantastic. This brings in a whole genre of other gamers into a scope to where essentially where this is used is in the story mode within the game. So explaining things, uh, within the game and, and just what's going on with the story. I think this is a huge step for number one, listening to what the community's saying, what the community wants and, and just the fact being able to, and we've seen it. We saw it with The Last of Us 2. We've seen it with other games where they really, really dig deep into these accessibility options. Like I said, my friend Lex, uh, she has disabilities as well. So this is something that's really important to her. And it really made me realize how important these settings are. So I had said one of my criticisms, actually, of Guardians of the Galaxy is I felt that their it, the accessibility options were pretty weak compared to some of the things that other games have done. So that was a little disappointing to me. This, I feel, is is a whole nother step. I, I believe that this is, is a good example to be shown just to the industry alone about inclusion and being able to Find different ways to include all gamers, because games should be able to be playable and for everybody. I understand that it's not gonna happen in every instance or there's challenges, uh, you know, depending on 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 what the issue may be. But wow, this is huge. Big kudos to them. Uh what are your thoughts on this, dude?
0: Yeah, this is so awesome to see, you know, making games accessible to as many people as possible is always a good thing. And it's important that these bigger titles do it because then it can start to trickle down, right? It starts to get normalized. Mm. It'd be it, It's different if, if it was a smaller game and then that, that started to go up, like it might take studios longer to notice. So it's great to see a AAA title come in and do it and kind of set an example for others to follow. Mind you too, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, for so long, Gran Turismo was kind of like the high mark for racing games, and mm-hmm. and Forza has kind of come in and stolen that crown recently, and it, it's been a pretty interesting rise for them. So just just the total package is great. I know tons of people who were super pumped to jump into this game, and accessibility features like this just opens it up to even more gamers, and we can only be happy for that. Now the challenge is getting that normalized. Now that is setting that standard and making those tools available for other studios to kind of jump in and follow, you know, and, and make it as widespread as possible. And, you know, Valerie, I know that obviously you've been a part of some beloved games. When you start to see features like this kind of come out, I mean, what are your feelings as, as you get to now see games, you know, that you will be a part of open up to even more people?
2: I mean, I think you hit you hit the nail on the head with about the the AAA game setting that standard. I think games are for everyone; they should be for everyone, and that makes me really, really excited. I didn't even, I, I didn't, I had no idea that they, I had no idea that the ASL interpreter being in in the game in the video was a thing. I hadn't seen that yet, so this was like really cool to get this news like right now. Like I'm, I'm very excited about that.
1: That is yeah, it's it you know, and, and that's the thing. You have, like I can't think of a game that has utilized something like this. But this really, you know, I was speaking uh again with my my friend Lex and you know, she's not completely blind, but she has trouble seeing things, but she knows sign language. So being able to, you know, see that is it's very helpful for her. And she's like, Oh yeah, but again, she's like, This is also, you know, there's American sign language, there's British sign language. So there's a whole there's there's different sectors even within there. Yeah, exactly. Which I didn't even realize. Again, this is it's so it's so you know, being able to be educated like that. And again, games being able to bring this stuff in, open up the world to new gamers and and people that, you know, you're only building that audience base. So now you've got this this audience that before may not have stepped into the title because, you know, there there were issues. Now this gives them a reason to be like, you know what? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna give it a shot, knowing that. But if you have Game Pass, this is on Game Pass as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I might check it out because I've never played a Forza. I'm not really a a racing game person, uh, but I, you know, I might I might check it out. It looks cool, the gorgeous. It's on Game Pass. I have Game Pass. Why wouldn't I? So uh, yeah, this is this is fantastic news. I, I this I love seeing strides and things like this being being taken in in the gaming community and like. Lucas was saying, just letting this set an example to other big publishers as far as what they can do accessibility wise, and and moving games forward in the future to be open to everybody. So there's a lot of, and we know the group Able Gamers. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that are really working to make accessibility better. So I, I love to see things like this.
0: Exactly, it's it's wonderful. It's it's we're opening more doors. And that that it, it, it's long overdue. It's long overdue. We're just I'm just happy to see it happening.
1: Agree. And there is there's yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there was one more topic on on the topic of Metal Gear that I had found that apparently um, Konami is uh, taking off from their four uh, uh, storefronts. They are taking off Metal Gear Solid 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3 from the storefront due to a licensing issue um, from footage used in the games. I've worked in the licensing uh, sector, licensing news footage and, and stories to companies for films. So this to me is like, look, you know that you had a contract with this with whoever you license the footage from and how do you let this just lapse? Uh, to the point where you have to pull these games this is not just go to the original games this also goes to the hd remasters that they've done there's been some collections that they've put together this goes over a multitude of platforms gog uh uh um, oh my goodness 3ds uh, all kinds of games so there's a huge impact on this so i'm guessing that whoever licensed them the footage reached out to them and said hey uh, your license is coming up. Either you you renew the license, uh, get get a license that's in perpetuity, or not in perpetuity, but uh, just like basically a direct buyout where you're licensing the footage for an unlimited amount of time if that's available, or or you you re up on your license. So it's interesting to see what their next move will be with this. I imagine that either moving forward, they do like a, a redo or a remaster of the collection without the footage, or they re up on the license and and they pay for extended use. So we'll see. Because again, I we you know this got we got into the topic on stream about what if Konami sold the IP? Because I was so sad. I was like, oh my goodness, we're never gonna get uh, uh, Kojima back with with Snake and, and making these. And it's like, well, there is the possibility if they sold that IP. So, you know, maybe this is maybe they to say, hey, this is a headache we don't want to deal with. Let's just unload this IP. I don't know. I'd love to see it personally. That would be amazing. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know a
0: lot of fans would love to see that. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, it's just another wrinkle in game games preservation. You know, music is mm-hmm. usually the one that gets all the headlines uh, just because of music rights. You think back to like the Tony Hawk series. Right. So when they mm-hmm. remade the Tony Hawk games, they couldn't recreate the soundtrack uh track for track uh, just because of music rights and, and whatnot so the the footage mm-hmm. side is kind of a, a thing that I don't think many of us think about and it, it' it's just an interesting wrinkle and you know we've talked about this before games preservation is a very complicated issue but it, it's it's an area in which this medium is needs to figure something out, right? Once a movie is made, Mm -hmm. you can go back decades from now and watch that movie. And and games are just not like that. You know, think back to the Wii, right? A lot of those Wii Mm -hmm. games are trapped on the Wii. So it's it's something that, that, uh, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know that there is an easy solution, but... For future generations you hope that they figure something out here soon because you know the games that we grew up with you wonder how open will those games be you know to play with our kids you know to, mm-hmm. to show others and it, it's just a weird quirk of this format that that i don't know what the answer is uh but i am curious valerie you know it, being that gaming is such a unique medium when you're a part of these projects uh, you know, like I just said, if you're part of a movie, that movie's out there. People can go buy it off Amazon, you know, rent it, whatever. Games sometimes can be a little more complicated than that. Do, do, do you have thoughts on, on like, on ha- being part of a medium where that's not as open as, as other formats?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is, like, obviously, I think, historically, games are by the wider community being seen as art pieces only more recently. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we look at like how the, the, I think the BAFTAs are one of the few top organizations that recognizes gaming as an artistic medium. Mm-hmm. And I think that as I hope one day, like the Oscars it, or, or some American awards thing will include it. But I think with that, will come more money for preservation. As people see like, oh, this is art that needs to be saved for future generations because this is impactful. And I think we're only at the start of that. I think especially as like th- this legion of gamers is growing up into an a- the adults that can make these decisions and make these mm-hmm. changes, I- I'm really hopeful about that because I- it is important. It is such an exciting, exciting medium for storytelling and and fun. And I I hope we can get these preserved because, yeah, I want to be able to play. I want to be able to just, like show my kids in like 20 years what remains of Edith Finch. Like, right? mm-hmm. I want to be like, oh, this is what I did when I was a teenager. Like, I don't know. Let's, I hope so.
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on with that, too. Um, just as far as being, you know, the the video game sector really is kind of it's really recently been put into the spotlight. People are throwing a ton of money at it. They realize that there's a ton of money coming out of it. They're working in a new space, especially just the boon that digital has gotten from from the lockdowns and 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 all that stuff. Um, it really thrusted it into the spotlight. So we're really seeing it starting to mature into what it's going to look like in the future. And that's why it's such an exciting space to be in to be working in because you're getting to and we're getting to help to shape what the future of it looks like uh, if anything on a smaller level uh, obviously there's bigger things and more companies investing in it esports is a thing clearly the the gaming sector out here like in vegas is really starting to take notice of uh, you know skill games as opposed to sit down and push a button. So us as a whole society, the generation, you know, the generations are getting older and older and we are now becoming the, the decision makers and, and working in those areas. It's really exciting to be a part of. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it'll be cool. It'll be cool to see um what they do as far as uh preservation, because you're right. I I don't want to have to lose games to systems that where they're they, you're you're never able to play them again because this system just no longer exists. So yeah, we'll see. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see how it is. But in in the meantime, let's take a quick commercial break on the back end. We're gonna be talking with Valerie Edith Finch. Let's go. Stick around, guys. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back everybody thanks for listening to the short messages and now comes the real fun part of the show and I think you know I I know it's probably cliche to start with uh, with what remains of Edith Finch but that game just affected so many gamers on on such a deep level there take me back to the beginning you know when, when you auditioned for this project how much did you know going in and what intrigued you about this over some other projects that you had seen.
2: Yeah. So I booked Edith Finch at the very beginning of my voiceover career. I Mm. have been acting professionally since I was 14. And I think I booked Edith Finch when I was 19. And I'd only been doing voiceover for like a year before that. I'd been doing a lot of like anime dubbing and um, like internal live action dubbing that will never see the light of day. Um, (laughs) And I I actually submitted to, to Edith Finch on like So it didn't come through an agent. It came through this website called Actors Actors Access, which is where like I get – yeah. It's a staple if you're an actor in LA or across the country. I submitted on there with my really crappy voiceover demo that I (laughs) made uh, myself and wrote myself. And I didn't even have a microphone at that time. I recorded it on my phone. (laughs) underneath my bed sheets I made a little cocoon I was still living at my parents house like I threw all these blankets over me and I like had my phone but I remember the weirdest thing to me is um or like the coolest thing about about that audition was I've only had it happen a couple times in my life but a couple there's a couple times in my life when I've gotten like big projects. I will get like goosebumps up my arms when I'm like doing the audition. And that happened on this one. And I remember being so intrigued because part of the character description described Edith. First off, no one ever describes teenage girls as in, in like a super dimensional way. It just, I feel like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it writing is getting better for, for women and things like that. But i had never seen a character description and i quote it was something along the lines of edith is like a storm on the horizon that may never reach the shore and i mm. immediately like knew what that meant mm-hmm. and i was like this is this is a weird description and i love it so much and i think they gave me like two monologues and i actually never auditioned in person for them they emailed me a couple weeks later and were are like hey we want to put you on a veil. I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, oh, I'm probably up against like 200 other people still. Like they're probably going to do callbacks. And then they emailed me like two nights later after I'd come home from Disneyland. And they're like, great. We actually, okay, so now we're going to we're gonna release these days, but we want you to come in on this day. And I was like, oh, I got it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought it was a tiny mobile game. <laughs> I had no idea what the heck it was. I, I, I was like, what is this? um and it actually wasn't until i saw the trailer that i realized it was um Perda interactive mm-hmm. i only knew the giant sparrow was a part of the team um so yeah it wasn't until uh, i saw the very first trailer with my voice that i was like oh oh man oh this is gonna be on playstation i thought it won't be on my phone it'll be on a <laughs> playstation
0: So, so throughout the recording process, you just thought it was just, just a tiny project uh, that, and and then, and then bam, it hits you that, that this is a a pretty major release. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And, and I also couldn't talk about it. I, I, I couldn't talk about it, even though like my voice is in the trailer and I had like one gaming friend who I wasn't super in the gaming scene at that time, but I had like one friend be like, is this you? And I was like, no, that's not me because I couldn't announce it until there was an article that finally mentioned me like a week before the game came out. And that was when I could finally start talking about it. So, um, and then I remember like, I remember like the reviews pouring in and like people tagging me and things and sending me things. And I remember I looked at my mom and I was like, what is happening? So (laughs) it was, um, it was very exciting. And I think I didn't realize what I was in for, Mm -hmm. Um, Which is probably like really good because I just kind of like rolled with it because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm 19 and have no idea what's going on. So it was a wonderful, wonderful ride, especially that like first year after it came out. And like, it was so cool. It opened so many doors.
1: Well, and, and, and I know, you know, you said that you've done a bunch of dubs and animation and, and things in that sector. What was the big difference working within the video game and, or, or working in a video game and just kind of like you're speaking on uh, just the community? Because I know video games has such a, a huge and loving community. Um, what were some of the differences that you saw between the two?
2: Yeah, um, I think Edith Finch uh, skews a lot more linear than some of the other games I've worked on where it's like your choices vastly affect the storyline that you're going to experience. Whereas like Edith Finch, because it's a walking sim, you are, for the most part, you you are always going to end up at your end destination. The story's Mm -hmm. fairly linear. However, in that there are still different voice options, different ways to get to that ending. And also too, the mystery of it for me was a really interesting thing. I had never been somewhere, i had never worked on a project where like, I wasn't allowed to read the script until I got there. And even then I didn't get anything but my own words. And then having to learn, okay, if I'm going to present the best performance that I can I need to learn very quickly what questions I should be asking what strong choices I'm allowed to make and can make and how to make this like the most collaborative process because of the mystery and the lack of info that you get especially especially as a video game actor specifically
1: Mm -hmm. let me ask too I don't know if you have you played through uh the game
2: yeah multiple times
1: Okay, so how was it then, embodying the the character of Edith, from when you first got the lines to actually being able to play the game and then see the story unfold?
2: It was really when I played it through the first time, I cried. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I the biggest difference for me was reacting to all of the family members' stories. It really affected me because are we allowed to say spoiler? Are, are spoilers okay here
0: i think so i think okay. so hey, I yeah we're not long enough good. So- okay. yeah
2: <laughs> so obviously like i knew at the end edith died because i spent 25 minutes of one of my last sessions doing dying breath sounds so i knew like i knew that <laughs> and i knew generally who the other characters were but like <laughs> I remember the very first time I saw the Molly scene, I was playing it. And when she turned into the cat and then honestly, when she turned into the sea monster, I was just like sitting on my bed, like with the controller, in my hands going, what the fuck? Like what is happening? (laughs) Uh, And, and on the same side too, like there were things like that that just shook me. And then there were parts Mm -hmm. that like, I was not emotionally prepared for. I was not emotionally prepared for baby Gregory, nor was I emotionally prepared Mm -hmm. for Lewis. Those Mm -hmm. two just wreck me. Um, And I was not prepared for that. And I didn't, I like knew they were. I knew Lewis was my brother. I knew baby Gregory was a baby, but I didn't know the whole thing about their stories because one, I never worked with any of the other cast members. And two, they would just give me like the vaguest things. Like, oh yeah, Molly's a 10 year old girl. She's super, she's like super adorable. And like, you're exploring her room. There's a lot of pink. It was very vague stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, given how well your performance turned out, had you gotten more information at the time, do you think it would have steered your performance in a different direction or or have some different nuances to it that uh that aren't in there uh just because of of the way it was recorded?
2: I think from for the way that they directed it, I think um I mean we had Ian Dallas in every single session. Ian mm-hmm. directed me a, a lot um and it's this is i mean it was a huge team effort um but i know ian put a lot of a lot of like his his feeling and his story into the piece and i think edith takes every story with a grain of salt um like i think it's when she closes molly's story that she makes it's not a snide comment but it's like a it's it's a comment along the lines of like well, that's interesting or something like that because she reads Molly's diary about like the, I will be delicious or something like that. And I think Edith takes everything with a grain of salt. And I I think if I knew how fantastical each story was and how like Milton disappears into a sketchbook and things like that, um, I think that kind of groundedness would not have been there as much. And I think I would have instinctually wanted to lean into like, that she that she believes that these magical things happen to her family as opposed to this, did it happen? Did it not? I mm-hmm. think it's important for Edith to be so grounded versus absurdity is the wrong word, but like the heightened levels of imaginative imagination that each of the vignettes have, so I think it I think it worked having that not knowing
0: and it is such an amazing experience you know i I think that the quote I remember the most from that game was something along the lines is if we live forever, maybe we'd have time to understand, but I think it's best. Uh, this isn't word for words. So I apologize, but it's, it, <laughs> it's best to like open our eyes and appreciate how strange and brief life is or something along those lines. And, and so when, when you see the reactions from, from gamers to this game, and then there's BAFTA nominations and there's, there's all these accolades. What do you think has struck a chord and kept that chord being struck all these years later?
2: I think it's the storytelling. I think it's the writing. I think the writing is, I I felt this when I, when I thought it was a tiny mobile game up through now, I, I think the writing is so beautiful. And it's what struck me in the audition. I remember getting the audition and the line that one of the, it was that monologue at the end. Mm -hmm. um, And it was also the, I was afraid of the house. It looked like a mouth with too many teeth, Mm. that, that section. And, I think it's so personal and I think the creative team did such a good job, amazing job capturing the experience of grief and loss and mystery. And I think that you can only do that if you've, if you're drawing on, on that personal feeling and that those personal experiences and that's what creates a connection. I've had so many people reach out to me about their, their parent passing away and how this game helped them through I think that that's a testament to the writing, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, and I I wanted to ask, you know, especially a story like this, uh, what kind of reactions and and feedback have you you received and the team received uh, on this game from the community?
2: It's been massive and just a a, a crazy amount of love and also. N- learning that it was very and continues to be very important to people. I still get messages from people probably on the weekly about they just discovered the game. They're going through something. This game has helped them, has made them feel seen, has made them feel less alone. And I mean, for me personally, when I was 19 and I worked on this, I hadn't lost anyone in my life. Mm -hmm. That was very close to me. But now all these years later, I am 25 now I have lost a lot of people and I mm-hmm. feel that when I see it now and I play it now, I understand more. I, I now, now I understand how it makes people feel because mm-hmm. it is, it, it, it's very powerful. It's very, very, very powerful, which is exciting. And again, I think the creative team, they put so much love into it and i think that that shows and that resonates with people.
0: You know, being as as young as you were when when you worked on this game, how did it change you? Like how to, how did you leave the project a different person than when you entered it?
2: Um that's a really good question. I honestly, it changed a lot of confidence things for me. When i started this game, i was again like 19, a kid, like just kind of like, why am I here? Like, really just like, <laughs> w- what's going on? And um, the game opened so many doors for me. And I think the first few times, I-, I think it's always important to like, take everything you read with a grain of salt. But I was very like, when I when I first, I was very self-deprecating when I worked on mm-hmm. this. And, and very like, ah, you know... I'm, I'm fine. And not in any way of like thinking like I'm great, but I think that there is a power that you gain as a person as you go through things and you have some kind of success that you can take with you and you can take to the next audition. And you can always say like, I'm going to either be great for this part or not great for this part. Someone else, it may be built for them, but I can go in there knowing that I have an artistic vision. I have a strong opinion that I can bring and I have a confidence of the work that is behind me. And That has changed a lot because this game, I, I'm pretty sure they called me in for Wolfenstein Youngblood because of this game and because of the BAFTA nomination. I auditioned for this the week, like a couple weeks before I flew to London for the BAFTAs, and I think seeing and realizing that people were taking me seriously. Again, first I was very like, "Why would they do that? Like I'm a child." (laughs) (laughs) But at a certain point, self-deprecation, if you're going to, like, continue this as a career, has to fall away to some degree because you want to let people trust that you can do work if you want to continue this career. Um, If that – does that make any sense?
1: It does. No, I think the imposter syndrome is, is real and a lot of people kind of feel that and, and understand that, especially when you're getting into uh, untapped territories that you've never been. You've only those are places that you've dreamt about. But when you're actually in it, doing it, you're just like, all right, you're just figuring it out as you go. Yeah. And and I did a, I did a little little research. And, you know, I know that I, I believe you have an older sister that is an opera singer as well. And, and you really come up from a very supportive family. Uh, how do you think that's really influenced you and then helped you also to be able to gain that confidence, to be able to take a risk? It may not be the most, you know, doing a, a an audition on your phone. You're like, this is the, the resources that I have. This is what I'm going to do. And nowadays, a lot more of that professional kind of pro-consumer uh, equipment is very accessible to people.
2: Yeah, I think my parents very much were, I grew up super poor. and my parents wanted to be able to let, they knew that I was creative. So they Mm -hmm. would let me do like community theater and things like that. And then I, like I said, I started working when I was 14 because it became very evident. Like I needed to start doing this as a job. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also got like, I have worked so many side jobs on the side because I knew that this is what I wanted to do. But I think that it was very helpful to have a family that believed in the arts, was supportive of the arts. Both of my parents um, are very creative, but they didn't follow those paths. And I think that their regret allowed them to let us pursue things and not be like, oh, you should go do something more stable. That's not to say there was not so many times of like, like my mom was the one who was like, you are not acting full time right now. You need to go get a job at I've, I worked at like Burlington Coat Factory for a long time. I worked at like Medieval Times for a long time. Like <laughs> I have worked so many places and it was, it, yeah, it was, it was helpful because there was the, I know you can do it, but you can't do it without a crazy ton of hard work behind it because an overnight success of a career takes 10 years. Like if you yep. look at Edith Finch, I did it when I was 19. I've been acting professionally. I got my first paycheck when I was 14, but I've been acting since I was seven, like 12 years. That's a long time. Did that answer that question? I feel like I went on a tangent somewhere.
1: Yeah, no, no, I totally <laughs> <No, it> did. <laughs> so
0: I kind of have to know here, when when the audition tape that you used for Edith, do you remember what kind of a scene you wrote and and like what it was?
2: So, oh, oh, um, I still have my Edith Finch audition. And then the okay. demo reel I had that I right. had submitted to them, I have it still. I had a family friend. A uh, family friend of ours is a professional composer. Uh-huh. And my dad had mm. donated like 25 pizzas to an event he was throwing. So oh, he nice. owed my dad studio time. <laughs> and I I like went in there and I wrote like uh, five or seven different scripts. And they were all like, they varied from like, narration to like character stuff to like commercials all on this one reel and it had awful reverb on it <laughs> but I definitely I definitely wrote most of the scripts and then a couple scripts were like lines from plays from roles I had done so I did like I, pl- I have played like Wendy and Peter Pan like so many times so I remember I like pulled some lines from like my script and I like did it in my like, little British accent <laughs> and that like starts off the reel and then I did I wrote like a piece about like my parents want me to win the school science fair. So they got me this fake brand of tutoring that I made up. Yeah, it was terrible, but it got me a lot of work.
0: See, and I think we also just learned the power of donating pizzas can get you favors that you can use down the road.
2: Yeah, you never know what, you never know what like Little Caesars $5 pizzas will do.
0: Right, right. (laughs) So if I could uh, transition into to Wolfenstein there. So Edith mm-hmm. Finch, you might have been surprised about about the scope and the scale. I don't think there was any surprise about Wolfenstein being as big of a series uh, as that is. So coming into that, playing Jess, obviously just a, a kick butt character. What, what was your mindset going into that and how much fun was it to, to help bring her to life?
2: Um, It was the best. Um, A funny story about that, though, I did not know that it was Wolfenstein until I showed up to the director's house for our pre flight to Sweden meeting and get together.
0: Um,
2: And everyone else in the room knew that it was Wolfenstein because obviously like (laughs) Brian was there and Deborah Wilson was there and like the rest of the cast was there. Um, So everyone else (laughs) knew it was Wolfenstein but me. And (laughs) that was fun. I was like, Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. I love Jess with every fiber of my being. And Tom Keegan, who is our director, is one of my favorite people on the planet. I adore him so much. Um, that that project was not only such a phenomenal personal success. Like I've, I worked in Sweden for like two and a half, three weeks um, nice. on that doing the mocap and then came home. And, and continue to record here for almost a year for the VO work. Um, mm. But also personally, I like every show, every project an actor or whoever works on, you always make your work friends and you always go, oh yeah, we're going to hang out. We're going to like be friends. And then you just like lose contact and that's like no one's fault. But on this one, like Shelby Young, who plays Soph, mm-hmm. we like mm-hmm. live five minutes from each other and, and like last night, she was texting <laughs> me, and she's like, "Can you come with me to dinner?" And I was like, "I can't. I'm in bed." Um, <laughs> like, like we hang out all the time. Um, and same thing with Tom. I'm, I'm I I have gone to many a Tom Keegan birthday party thing. So they they and same thing with Jasmine Savoy Brown, who plays Abby. We've stayed really good friends. I I hired her on a project I produced. Um, so That's personally, awesome. it was a it was a Huge, huge deal because I, I love those people with every fiber of my being. And also to Jess was just, I remember going into that audition having no idea what the heck it was. And the, the description of her was like 18 years old, militaristic, badass. So I remember I went in in like my tight black pants and my tight black tank top and my combat boots. And I was like, I'm here and I'm like a tough like army woman. Uh-huh. And then Tom was like, just, like, improv it and just, like, be weird. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like okay. Um, and then <laughs> I was like, great. And um, I didn't have a call back for it. I had that one audition and I was like, oh, I haven't heard anything, whatever. But then my manager at the time told me, she was like, she told me after I booked it, she was like, yeah, they called us the day of your audition to let us know that you were, like, Really high in the running, but they, it took them like two months to actually, I think, send the offer. So mm. yeah, so, so yeah.
0: Wait a second. They they knew that you were one of their favorites the day of, but then you just assumed that that they just didn't like you because you you never got the call back.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I actually like booked a play that was the same dates as that that like oh, overlapped no. with oh, Wolfenstein. My I ended up being able to do both, but it was like by sheer luck. Um, So I like went, I like booked another project. So like, they're not going to, it's been two months. I'm going to go do this play now. Um, And then they called me and my manager freaked out that I'd booked this play. (laughs) I had to call the director of the play while I was getting on the, because I found out that I got Wolfenstein when I was boarding my plane to London for the BAFTAs.
1: Oh my goodness. (laughs) goodness.
2: (laughs) So then I was calling my theater director furiously like, TJ, I have to talk to you. I, I have to go to Sweden.
0: <laughs>
2: and like, then I was like on an, a 12 hour flight and he was confused because he had this frantic voicemail from like 21 year old Valerie <laughs> having a panic attack <laughs> about scheduling. So, for, and then she couldn't get a hold. I couldn't, he couldn't get a hold of me for 11 hours. So oh, he probably goodness. thought I was like in an accident because I'm sure it was just, I'm sure the voicemail something along the lines of, TJ, I need to talk to you. <laughs> So, yeah, but I got to do both. They let me do both, which was great.
1: That is awesome. That would have been nerve wracking for sure. Like, what do I do? Like this huge project, but I've also already made a commitment to this and I can't, you know, leave them high and dry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would have been crazy. So so tell us, how how much did that experience um, just differ, especially the fact that you guys were able to physically uh be together i don't know if you were able to do then do work uh collaboratively with people as opposed to kind of uh you know with doing the mocap and and being able to have the physicality while you're acting not just sitting there and and you know emoting through your mouth but physically being able to use your body
2: yeah um it was really exciting because i was able to pull from my theater and my film background Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what I that's what I grew up doing, and also too, I think it helped my VO work because now I've come to realize, especially because that was my first like battle centric video game where mm-hmm. there's efforts and there's shooting and there's being hit and being shot and dying sounds, except for the Edith Finch dying last breath sound, like these big these big like you've been shot. And I don't think I realized how important that physicality was in the booth and on the set until I was mm-hmm. doing that. I was like, oh, I can just, you know, voice actors just like stand and sit and like stand and do their work. And uh, coming out of that project, I was like, oh, no, you it's a full body experience. Tom Keegan mm-hmm. does this wonderful thing where he starts every day that you are working with a 20 or 25 minute warm up with the entire cast yeah. where it's like it's like being at theater camp and. Because it's a, especially for something like that where I have yet to do mocap where like I'm just the body or just the that's not true I have done just the voice and face Mm -hmm. but when you're doing full full performance capture it is it's like being in a marathon and then you're in those tight heavy suits and you have Mm -hmm. the like three and a half pounds of headgear on your head it it taught me a lot about stamina and, like, longevity of being able to get through a day like that. Also, Mm -hmm. too, like, I realized very quickly that um, when you're (laughs) – super jet lagged for the first week of work and you want to go out and see the sites <laughs> in Sweden and you have to learn your lines the night before because they send you rewrites, that's hard. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh if I'm done for work, then I can go look at the pretty castle in, in Sweden. And then I was like, oh no, you can't. You have to go. They just changed this to a monologue now. You're gonna go home and you're gonna learn that. So I it was like the longest shoot for, for, for like any type of shoot that I've done it was the longest shoot I've ever been on so now I can only imagine what it's like to be like a series regular where you're shooting for like eight months or like a like obviously I think the runtime of Wolfenstein Youngblood is like it's like a playtime of like 13 or 15 hours like I just Mm -hmm. I think about like what is it for what was it for like like New Colossus like what was that shooting Mm -hmm. period like that's so much longer and I'm excited. For, I'm excited to do that next. I want to do a longer one. I want to be on a mocap set for every day for a year.
0: Nice. Yeah. You know, the, the way young blood ends, uh I think, um I guess, spoiler warning. And it's been out for long enough. I think that we can <laughs> be, be safe about this, that there's definitely an opening to tell more stories um mm-hmm. directly following this. So, what if you got the chance to come back to to Jess? Is there an area of her character that you would like to explore that maybe you guys didn't get to in Youngblood?
2: I want to see Jess and Soph come into their own. Um, they they learned so much about themselves mm-hmm. in the course of Young Blood. Like they've always been tough cookies. I mean, look who are their, look who their parents are. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean the like the Jess we see at the beginning where she's hunting with with Bj and she's like trying to shoot the animal versus and then she almost gets bit by the rattlesnake. That's such a different jest from who we see at the end. And I want to see who she who she grows up to be because they're they're only 18 at the end of the game. Yeah. And I wanna see like I also want to see more of like the personal lives and 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 I don't know. I'm like, I really want more. I love them so much.
0: <laughs> just just between us friends here, just it'll you know, stay between us three, has there been any rumblings?
2: Not that I have heard yet. I The only thing that I, I know is that I think it would be, I personally, I think it'd be a shame if we met these three new awesome girls and we didn't get to see any more of them. I know that everyone was very excited about them. And nothing that I have heard, I just know, I think, I know at least on the cast side, everyone wants it. I, I know the writing team was very passionate about it. So I know that every, I think, I think everyone who worked on it creatively wants it. It's just a matter of will it happen and when and how long. And, and again, like, yeah, if, it, if they fit into the next story that's being told.
0: I know that this one plays a little bit around with alternate dimensions and all that. So do you do you see like a an alternate Jess where she's like this like peace loving like <laughs> I don't know, stay-at-home parent or something.
2: Oh yeah, I have like a headcanon <laughs> of like what I would have the next plotline be. Um Ooh. I <laughs> I would love to see both of their dimensions because like you said we end that one with the like, talking about, like, oh, there's, there are the, these other dimensions, and I think it'd be interesting if they met each other, or, like, something happened where they had to, like, I don't know, or they, like, see the other dimension, I want to know, also, too, if they, like, see this other dimension, the two girls, like, what is that going to do to them to know, like, oh, I could have had, like, a normal life, like, I could have lived, because what, this year, this game takes place in 80, 80 1980, because it's, starts in 79 i believe i'd love for them to see like the alternate reality of like what they could have been as like 1980s american teenagers in like a not nazi occupied world so i think it'd be really cool i want to see it
0: i think that's a fantastic idea (laughs) and they should make that like immediately (laughs) (laughs) because
2: i watch it so bad (laughs)
0: <laughs> you almost can't. Like if you, you they introduce that, right? You almost can't not do that, right? They have to. Yeah.
2: yeah. Can you imagine like like Jess and Sophie like, getting ready for like a school dance or something? And like the biggest concern is like that they've run out of like AquaNet or something. Oh man. <laughs> I want them to see that life.
1: I love it. I love what they've they've done with those games too. And and just from planned originals to how they've kind of, you know, they've huge, huge steps and created characters that you can connect with and, and are fun to play for the future. Is there any projects that you're, you're currently working on or, or any projects that you hope to be working on?
2: Yeah, I am working on a few things that I'm really passionate about right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I wrapped, uh, I'm working on a game right now. I wrapped another one about a month and a half ago. I can't talk about them yet, but they're projects that I'm like, I, (laughs) I, they're like the kind of storytelling that I'm like, this will be really exciting. And I can't wait to shout it from the rooftops.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I think for me, what just really excites me is like well-written characters. I think again, going back to like the creativity and the artistry of games, I think people are realizing that games have awesome writing. (laughs) And like, especially like, The indie gaming scene is so creative. Triple A games have have been having like really killing it with storylines and and writing and characters. So honestly, like if it's good writing, I'm on board. I just want to work on cool projects and I love playing. I love playing multifaceted characters. I mean, that's what drew me to Jess. Jess and Soph are not your classic badass female heroines. They are like two awkward goobers. Um, <laughs> and I want to see more of those.
0: <laughs> and you're also a part of Skills Hub, correct?
2: I am, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. We, we've we had Jennifer on in the past to, to talk about that. And it's such a wonderful platform. What drew you to be a part of that? And had something like that been available to you when you were starting out? What's like the one thing you wish you would have known back then?
2: That's a great, that's a great question. I was uh, drawn to it because I have a, like... Obviously, like Jennifer, my my friend Julia is one of the people who helps with a lot of it. Just the the caliber of coaches, and when they asked me to join their coaching, I had a bit of that imposter syndrome of what Why would you ask me?" <laughs> um, but I think it's really important. I think voiceover is such a mysterious business. I think everyone's heard a voice actor, everyone's seen a Disney movie, everyone's heard a radio commercial. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of the business that feels and has felt very shrouded in mystery. And I think that things like Skills Hub, creators talking more openly about how they get work, what their process was like, how they grew. And also too, going back to BAFTA, I love that BAFTA grew, spotlights voice actors and talks about their career because it's a mysterious thing. And I, I was very lost when I started. Again, I feel like I... Booked Edith Finch by complete chance, and now I feel like there's. I I wish I could tell myself now, all the things that I've learned. Also, too, like mm-hmm. the importance of networking. When I went to the BAFTAs, I was a nervous wreck. The one thing I could focus on was the the chocolates, the Tiddly BAFTAs, which are the little <laughs> masks. Ooh, there. Have you seen them? I have. I, I, <laughs> Those are my favorite things. Uh, I, but like, I was so anxious that like anytime someone came up to me at the ceremony, I was like, oh, well, have you seen these chocolates? They're like so cool. And I was like so anxious and I couldn't retain anyone's name. I like feel, I feel like flushed thinking about it. I feel like secondhand embarrassment for myself. I, I was so anxious and I felt like I... I I don't feel like I blew any networking opportunities, but I wish I had been able to sit myself down and go, hi, sweetheart. So what we're going to do before you get on the plane, you're going to watch playthroughs of all the other games that are nominated. You're going to learn who's on the team so that you're not sitting there like a nervous wreck so that when someone comes up to you and says, hi, I am so-and-so from like Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm not going, I've seen the trailer and it's so cool. And have you seen these chocolates?
0: (laughs) I think, I think what you just just revealed is you should be their chocolate salesperson.
2: <laughs> they're so good, and they come in, and then they give you. Th- there's three in the box. There's a milk chocolate. There's a dark chocolate. <laughs> there's a white chocolate, and they're all so good. So, and I like. <laughs>
0: I don't know. So I, I feel like the, the next time you're at the Baftas, can you like stash some away? Cuz so now I really want to try some. Like you sold me. You sold me I'm thinking that these might be like the best.
2: I'm just going to break into the Baftas. Just, just for the I'm chocolate. Just here for the
1: chocolate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> because they
0: leave I'm them already on your
1: a seat. Winner.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they leave them on your seat. Like you when you sit down, they're there in a little care package. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. See, you, you just snatch some, and when they get back, you're, I don't know what happened. Hey, you didn't have any. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Sp- speaking of some voiceover stuff, I did I did see on Twitter. Just I think you tweeted out today or something that you wanted to do, do a, a princess role. Yes. Um, hmm. Why Why would that be a dream of yours? Like, what would you? And and I'm assuming you want to play with it. Uh, just, just based on how you talked and kind of do something different. So, what would be your perfect princess role?
2: I've wanted to be a princess since I was a little girl. Like I said, I was like the queen at medieval times and the princess at medieval times. I used to be a party princess. Like I've, I've always like been drawn to heroines that are young and want to make a difference in the world. Like, and that excites me. But more than that, I want to play a super gay princess. I want to see more queer representation. And for me, I think when I came out that I didn't, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I remember when I was like struggling with coming out when I was in my late teens, I was like, oh, I've always like identified with these princess characters. But but now that I like, I'm like understanding myself, I don't relate to them as much. I don't relate to like just wanting the, the prince charming. I relate to the bravery and the kindness and I, I want to, I want to emulate that and, and be that but i also want to i want to see a character a princess or some type of heroine like that who loves who they love and i I really want to see more queer representation i'm a big fan of the tv show shira and the princesses of power i think Mm -hmm. they did fantastic with queer rep so like for me that is like that's like the next thing i really want to do we'll see i think we're like getting really good with representation especially in like kids animation stuff so i hope it's i hope i get to do something like that That that'd be like my dream role that or like a laura croft like completely opposite direction like Uh absolute (laughs) badass like tomb raider status because i grew up playing the tomb raider games on like the ps or the playstation one when i was like a a little
0: Mm -hmm. that would be awesome too that's i think i think we'll get a new tomb raider a New Princess Project and Young Blood 2. And I think that's like the trifecta of, of future projects.
2: <laughs> please. If we can do that, I, please, let's just do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Valerie, again, thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. Please let people know where can they find you? Where can they reach out to you? What do you got going on?
2: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I am on Instagram at Valerie Rose Lohman, on Twitter at Valerie Loman. Um, I'm a crazy busy person. I have my coaching business if you want to coach with me. I love coaching people. I have music coming out next year. I have a podcast that I'm producing coming out next year. Um, what else am I doing? I have several game things coming out that I can't talk about <laughs> yes. yet that are coming out. I yes. think next year? Question mark. <laughs> um, we'll hope. And then I think I'm going to be doing very soon, like my very first um autograph signing through streamily I haven't set that date nice. yet, but I'm going to be like I've never I've never done autographs before, so I think that's coming up. And then I have a YouTube channel where I do ASMR. So nice. I do too many things.
0: I don't think you have enough going on. I think you got to add a few things. (laughs) Keeping it busy. I
1: like it.
2: Always. Yeah. I can't relax.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey, it's out there and it's, you know, it's like, hey, might as well go out, do things, create. So uh, thank you again so much for being on. We really appreciate it.
2: This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. All right, Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend?
0: Well... We'll see about the Aaron Rodgers COVID situation. I think I'm still in in, uh, shock slash just shaking my head at all that. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just going to get lost in some more games (laughs) instead. I did not start uh, Resident Evil on the quest, and that is something that I really want to do slash I'm also kind of dreading. But uh, just just the idea of, like, one of my favorite horror games in virtual reality is both exciting and terrifying, and I am Mm -hmm. all for that, to at least try it once, and hopefully I don't end up throwing a controller or anything like that. If I do, (laughs) oh gosh, hopefully no one's around me. (laughs) But that's probably it for me. What about yourself, Ryan?
1: Well, first thing is I'm going to have to change my blinds because this sun <laughs> is getting more and more. And I, I've been trying to avoid it while we're recording. I'm just like, Oh, okay. I got to remember to flip those. Uh, other than that, though, uh, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, finishing up because we're pretty close to finishing in sound mind. We've been playing that for the last few weeks, really, really enjoying that. That's that psychological thriller. Um, but we're going to finish that. And then, like I said, I'm back on, uh, death loop. As well, so I'll be playing through that, and then I got to put some time in Destiny. I, it has not been getting any love as of late because I had to focus on that Metal Gear. I said I'm gonna finish it. We finished it. Yay, go me! Um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then just be a person. But uh, regardless, we hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Don't forget, check us out on the tweeters at Land Parties Pod at Lucas Eggen, or at Smitty two four four seven. Or you can check out our YouTube channel. It is a very long uh, thing. You can look for that link uh, on our on our Twitter or somewhere, probably on this uh, episode. Regardless, again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and you know what it is, we love your faces.